Six days before he died, on April 14, 2016, Prince played the Fox Theater in Atlanta on the first stop of his piano and a microphone tour. The Fox is small, just 4,600 capacity, but Prince had been in near constant pain for a decade, primarily in a surgically repaired hip, and could no longer put on the acrobatic large stage shows that were once his trademark. So instead, he chose scaled-down performances in small venues where he could sit behind his piano and just sing his hits. Prince had been suffering from the flu for the last couple weeks. The Fox concert was actually a makeup date because he'd had to cancel the week before. But he was nevertheless absolutely incredible that night, and the crowd loved it. The next day, Prince told his tour coordinator it was the best show he'd ever done. Here's a small taste. But Prince's greatness that night hit a secret. He had for years been dealing with his chronic pain by taking large amounts of Vicodin and Percocet, which he would secretly obtain, sometimes from doctors and sometimes from street-level drug dealers, and then store the drugs in empty aspirin bottles so no one would know. But on the night of the Fox concert, weakened by the flu and exhausted from performing, it all caught up with him. When the show ended, Prince said his stomach hurt and insisted he and his entourage leave to catch their private charter plane back to Minneapolis. About an hour in, a flight attendant noticed Prince struggling for breath and nodding in and out of consciousness. The pilot was notified and he radioed ahead to Quad City Airport in Moline, Illinois. What's the nature of the emergency? What's the nature of the An unresponsive passenger. Uh, was it a male or female passenger? Hey, there. Male passenger. Paramedics met the plane on the tarmac and rushed the singer to the hospital. Doctors described him as nearly lifeless when he arrived, and when they aroused him, they noted his slack muscles and slurred speech, telltale signs of an acute opioid overdose. They administered Narcan, a medication used to block the effects of opioids, and he came around. Once stable, Prince said he was fine and left the hospital against medical advice. The media soon learned of the incident, and Prince was forced to issue a public statement denying using drugs, claiming instead he was simply dehydrated from the flu. But rumors of the overdose persisted, and so the famously shy Prince, eager to show he was okay, headed out in public to a local record shop where he took pictures with fans and a jazz club for live music. He even had an impromptu dance party at his Paisley Park compound. Prince told everyone who would listen that he was feeling fine, but he was far from it. On April 20th, he fell ill, and he knew the problem was caused by the pills he was taking. He called his doctor, who prescribed medication to make him feel better, and recommended Prince immediately seek treatment for his dependency, and he did, contacting treatment centers in California that same afternoon. But later that night, Prince's addiction got the better of him. He took a generic version of Vicodin, for which he had no prescription, and which he most likely got from a drug dealer. The pills he took were counterfeit, and laced with high levels of a highly addictive and dangerous drug called fentanyl. He went to sleep. Early the next morning, he woke and got dressed, and then got into his personal elevator. Sometime during the short trip downstairs, Prince Rogers Nelson, just 57 years old and one of the most celebrated and decorated people in the history of music, collapsed and died unceremoniously on his elevator floor. I'm Jason Beckerman. I'm Derek Kaufman. And this is Last Days, Prince. As far as most people knew, aside from the recent bout with the flu, Prince was the picture of health. He was muscular and fit. He maintained a nearly perfect diet and he was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. So he didn't eat meat or processed foods and did not drink alcohol. 
He imposed these rules on those who were around him on his tours and who would work with him, his entourage, roadies, backup dancers, and even opening musical acts, forbidding alcohol and drugs while on the road and used his music to actually preach against the scourge of drug use. It was Prince's abstinence about all these elements of sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle that made the revelations about his abuse of painkillers so perplexing to those who were closest to him. Many friends and family members actually refused to believe the initial reports. They publicly accused his physicians, the media, and social media of gossiping and concocting stories that couldn't possibly be true. Prince's close friend and bodyguard, Kirk Johnson, who saw Prince almost every day, said he had no idea of Prince's troubles until the night his plane was forced to land in Moline. And after Prince died, however, the Minneapolis police launched an investigation into when, where, and just how Prince obtained the laced Vicodin that killed him. And the world began to learn just how deeply troubled Prince had been for nearly his entire adult life. So injuries and addiction aside, Derek, I think 1984 really did mark the beginning of a run of success for Prince, basically unlike anything we've seen unprecedented in in music. I think it was totally unprecedented and hasn't been equaled since, basically. I mean, we're talking about one of the biggest musical artists of all time. He's up there with the Michael Jacksons and the Madonnas. You've also got Prince, and he really established it during this eight-year period in the mid-80s. So between 1984 and 1992, that's eight years, he releases eight albums, one per year. And there's very few artists in history, Jason, who release so much that is also so good. And Prince is in that category. He was prolific and great at the same time. During this span, he has six number one hits. He has 17 songs in the top 10. And that doesn't even include Nothing Compares to You, which is one of your favorite songs. It was obviously... It was a number one hit sung by Sinead O'Connor. He penned it. He penned it. It's really what considered in uh, like top echelon of the greatest ballads in And stands up. History. Stands the test yeah, of time. People still love that song. And uh, her cover of it made Sinead O'Connor hugely famous. Yes. And it's his song. He penned it. Um, but the biggest song of this era is undoubtedly... When Doves Cry. This is the autobiographical and heartbreaking tale of a boy raised with an abusive father and mother. It's the number one song of 1984. And I want to put this in a little bit of context. What Billboard does is it tells you what the number one song is from week to week on the charts. And it also designates the number one song of the year. So we're here in the mid 80s. You've got Michael Jackson in his prime. You've got Madonna in her prime. You've got Bruce Springsteen. This is specifically for you. Derek, for all people who don't know, is a Bruce Springsteen hater. Yes. And Dancing in the Dark, one of Bruce Springsteen's biggest hits, never reached number one because it was planted behind Wind Doves Cry for a full five-week run. It was number two and then dropped off the charts, down the charts at the same time Wind Doves Bye, Cry. Bruce. <laughs> Bye, Bruce. Bye, <laughs> Bruce. But Dancing in the Dark is a great song, but Wind Doves Cry is just sublime. It just towers, and, and you can listen for why. weirdest thing before I go on. This song doesn't sound dated. It sounds perfect. It's I would I would release this song today and I think it would be just as big. That was who Prince was. So compare you compared Prince to Madonna and Michael Jackson and Bruce Springsteen for good reason. 
Prince did something that none of those guys did, which he also became a bona fide movie star. And some tried. Remember, Madonna had yeah, her little phase did. of trying out movies as well. So at the same time as this is going on, he stars in one of the biggest movies of 1984, Purple Rain, starred in and directed Under the Cherry Moon in 1986, and wrote, starred, and directed Graffiti Bridge in 1990. So this is a guy who was dabbling in all aspects of entertainment. He could do no wrong. It's sort of his imperial phase. He, he, he was such a notoriously hard worker that when he was on tour for his various albums, he released uh, an album every year, as you said. He would go on tour for those albums. He was also constantly penning movies during this time. Every time he would sit down, he would just get a pen in his hand and start jotting down a paper and then hand it to people who would type it up for him. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. He's boundlessly creative and prolific, and there's troves of music that you've never heard from Prince still that exists today. Yeah. So going back to the opioid problems that he was suffering with, by the uh, early 90s, he seems to have kicked the habit, but it's really hard to know for sure. He was famously private, and he didn't tell anybody about his struggle, so we don't really know exactly when he was in and out of his addictive phases. But in any event, a few years later, he began to suffer hip pain caused by decades of onstage acrobatics, often in heels, and he started complaining of numbness in his arms and hands probably from banging relentlessly on the piano. He would famously work 12, 14 hours a day at the piano when he was at at home or in his studio. And he started to get these awful pains in his fingers. According to his ex-wife, Manuela Testoloni, these issues sent him back to narcotics in the early 2000s. And Prince's tour manager, Theo London, talked extensively about this to investigators after Prince's death. And we'll talk about this more. There were a lot of investigations, police investigations into what exactly happened. And his uh, tour managers talked about the fact that he, Prince had often complained to him about needing painkillers. And one time he brought him uh, Tylenol and Prince got irate, screaming at him that he needs something stronger than that. So he was really getting back into the throes of addiction as he had been back in the 80s. This is now in the early 2000s. And finally, in 2010, after years of suffering, he finally has his hip replaced there's some evidence as an aside that he was pushed he pushed the surgery off for a decade or more because of his faith. Jehovah's Witnesses have a complex relationship with modern medicine that counsels away from medica cures to various ailments. But in any event, he suffered needlessly for a long time and though by 2010 his hip was now fixed, his dependency didn't go away. Over the next few years, Prince tried to find doctors who would give him painkillers as needed, but even this was not enough. All of this came out in the post-death investigations. By the early 2010s, he was supplementing what he could get from doctors legally by scoring street drugs as well. It's a story you see time and time again yeah. with, with drug addicts. What happens is, and the, and the Tylenol story is really illustrative, you develop a tolerance. And, and Tylenol, which could uh, cure some aches and pains for people who don't use drugs regularly, simply wouldn't work on a person yeah. like Prince who had developed over time a tolerance to these drugs and well, he needed so, for his pain management stronger and stronger so stuff. So Vicodin, I'm not going to get this exactly right, Vicodin is a combination of oxycodone, I believe, and Tylenol. Yeah, it's either hydrocodone or oxycodone. And acetaminophen, right? And Percocet is the other of oxycodone and hydrocodone with uh, acetaminophen as well. It's like a chaser on top of a heavy-duty narcotic that is managing the pain. That's right. So just taking Tylenol alone would have done nothing for for Prince. He needed this, this extra... Uh, extra push. And the timing's important here because as he's entering the throes of this heavy-duty opioid addiction, we're in the 2010s, but we're not yet at the real fentanyl epidemic, at least not writ large in in, in the news. So there was an awareness that there was obviously opioids, you could become addicted, they were claiming many lives. In in 2022, though, we're we're at these epidemic levels where over 109,000 Americans have died of accidental fentanyl overdoses. 
This was not that period of time. So there was an awareness, but it wasn't in full bloom. No, this is a, something that you and I know well, this idea of, of drug overdoses. We've seen it in so many celebrities we've covered. Fentanyl was not something that was on my radar yep. until maybe five years ago. I think when we first heard about it, it might have been in Prince's Overdose, at least when I first heard about it, might have been in the case of Prince's Overdose. So it's highly unlikely, I think, that Prince knew how dangerous what he was doing was, meaning obtaining these drugs not from pharmaceutical companies because he couldn't find the doctors to prescribe it to him. Instead, he was just in some way, and we'll talk about it more, in some way getting these street drugs and he had no real idea that they were laced with fentanyl. And, and all of these drugs are dangerous, but fentanyl in particular is stronger than heroin. It used to yes. be heroin addictions were the worst you could have. Fentanyl has really upped the ante and it's flooding into the country and they're cutting street drugs with it. It's a very dangerous drug. Yeah. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. So a week before Prince dies, he actually called a doctor by the name of Michael Schulenberg, someone he'd previously seen for a routine physical. Prince told Schulenberg he was in pain from lifting heavy equipment, and he asked for Percocet. Schulenberg took the singer at his word um, and called in a prescription for 15 pills. And he put the prescription in Kirk Johnson's name to protect Prince's privacy. Now, in and of itself, this is not entirely uncommon. Prince is beyond famous. And so to have his actual name on a prescription could really cause some problems. It's not and uncommon. We saw it certainly in the Michael Jackson case. Most famously, he had hundreds of prescriptions in different names. But but it's, it's dangerous. It's, it's also illegal when you're dealing with these kinds of narcotics. There's a very, you know, we've got to control how, what kinds of folks get these narcotics and how many of it. So there's a real registry of prescriptions. So they're doing it in somebody else's name to protect Prince's privacy. But, but it's a, it's illegal. And and, and uh, Schulenberg was taken to task for having done so. The next day, after getting the Percocet from Schulenberg, Prince flew to Atlanta and then suffered the midair overdose on the way home that we talked about. It isn't known if Schulenberg's Percocets caused the overdose, but when Prince died, they found the bottle with five missing pills still tucked into the travel bag he'd taken with him on the trip. So it seems there's a relationship between the Percocets and his overdose. But importantly, these aren't the drugs that killed Prince. Instead, he died of an overdose of fentanyl, which investigators, investigators determined came from counterfeit Vicodin pills, not the Percocets given by Schulenberg. Indeed, investigators found over 100 counterfeit pills in Prince's bedroom after he died, some in aspirin bottles and others laying open on his nightstand. 
each of these pills was made to look like the real thing, but which Prince either uh, obtained himself or someone within his inner circle obtained from illegal sources, not from physicians, but which Prince seemingly believed were the real thing. Here's a statement by state prosecutor Mark Metz, who headed up the investigation into Prince's death. Unfortunately, the subject counterfeit Vicodin pills are an exact imitation of real Vicodin pills, but the counterfeit pills contain the potentially deadly opioid fentanyl. Representative samples taken from Paisley Park of the counterfeit Vicodin pills tested positive for fentanyl. Nothing in the evidence suggests that Prince knowingly ingested fentanyl. In addition, there is no evidence that any person associated with Prince knew Prince possessed any counterfeit pills containing fentanyl. Investigators spent months attempting to determine who sourced the pills Prince took, believing it was likely either Prince himself or, quote, and this is their term, individuals closely associated with Prince, but they ultimately could not identify the culprit. Despite the intensive law enforcement investigation, there is no reliable evidence showing how Prince obtained the counterfeit Vicodin laced with fentanyl or who else may have had a role in delivering the counterfeit Vicodin to Prince. Derek, Prince seemingly had a lot to give. He uh, you know, was not nearly as prolific as he had been as a, as a young man, but there was a lot of life ahead of him. What's the counterfactual here? What happens if Prince survives this night? Yeah, I mean, it was such a tragedy. 57 years old, which is not that old, and he was so prolific. He was still creating music, a lot of it not released. To your point, he has famously this trove of unreleased music at Paisley Park that he produced, was probably incredible. That, a lot of it has been released. and His kids and heirs are trying to monetize this stuff, releasing it slowly, but there's boxes and boxes of stuff unfinished. It's not really releasable yet. It, was, it wasn't up to his standards. And, right. and Prince was very meticulous about what he would release to the public to preserve his image and his legacy, and obviously very smartly did that over yeah. the course of his career. In terms of what would have happened if Prince, you know, sort of was alive today, I think you'd see him sort of continue to be the rock legend that he is, maybe get into some Broadway shows. I've seen a lot of artists do this. Um, you know, there's been a Queen rock show. There's been Billy Joel musicals and things of that nature. Not many people have the catalog depth to put on an entire show. Prince has that. I mean, yeah. Prince, Prince, very simply, he had been into movies. He liked other forms of entertainment, obviously did Purple Rain, which is its which is his own iconic his movie. It's sort of operatic it. storytelling. That's the type of music that he he put out as was. It wouldn't shock me if he were to sort of get into sort of a you know, a, a, a Broadway kind of mentality and start running shows. I mean, th there was that no... That said, this exercise is weird with Prince, isn't it? I mean, he's so mercurial, so famously yeah. mercurial. Um, you didn't know how Prince felt about you. Prince famously didn't uh, perform on We Are the World, although he was invited. I mean, he yeah. was a strange guy with incredible musical talent, but also hard to read. We this, The shock of his death is in large part because as famous as he was, we didn't know about Prince that yeah. much beyond the level of his music. We, and he, he preserved it that we way. We talked about that's what's so strange about the finding out about his, his lifelong addiction, something that somehow nobody knew about. We knew Michael Jackson was having trouble for years. For we knew years. Elvis was having trouble for years. Nobody, These were open secrets. Right. Prince, not like that. Not like that. I remember at all. being in this office, Jason. You remember when that plane went down with that emergency call, the shock and all, uh, across people's faces. No one had any clue Prince was in and any kind of trouble. And then he seemingly recovered. He goes out, he's riding his bicycle around the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, he, he dies in this very unceremonious way. It was really stunning because, once again, we had no idea 
anything was wrong. Yeah, and and as I said, for for Jason and I, we are big Prince fans. You can't have lived uh, during the years we've lived uh, and not appreciate Prince on some level, but we're not the biggest fans in the office, and that is a guy named Eric Colley, who is our music expert. We bring him on from time to time. He spoke on Tina Turner on this podcast, but he is the consummate Prince fan. He has a Purple Rain, you know, clock in his in his edit bay. And I feel like we should give him the final word. Beyond being a huge Prince fan, he's also the most knowledgeable person that we know, maybe one of the more knowledgeable people out there about Prince, and there's nobody better to talk about his legacy. So Prince's legacy is already set and defined. You know, nothing at this point will change anything about that. Uh, and you know, honestly, I think the, the, the issues with the pills kind of humanizes him in a way because part of Prince's whole mystique was that he was so otherworldly. Like you think, like you know, his musical abilities were, were God-given, uh, but you kind of minimized that he was a person that as much as he understood music, he still rehearsed hours and hours a day. Like he spent so much of his life getting perfect at his craft. And you don't always see him as, this, as, as a human. He was so otherworldly and that was sort of his own design. You know, there's so many stories people have about Prince would just appear and disappear where they'd be talking to him. Like he would just come out of nowhere and then just float away, and it's like, is he is he an alien? Like people thought that about him, um, but but the legacy that he's going to leave behind is the music is untouchable. You know, beyond just having pop hits, because there are lots of pop stars who have a bunch of hits and then fade away. Prince was an artist. He really was an artist, and I think that's how he would most want to be remembered. He was someone who had something to say, and he said it, and it impacted not just music but culture. You know, in the '80s. He was sort of the freaky one and, and impacted how people viewed masculinity and sexuality and all these things. And it just reverberated throughout all the generations that came after him. Also as a producer, as a songwriter, as a guitarist, as a keyboard player, piano player, bass player, all those things I think will be studied by musicologists for centuries to come, literally. Like, they, you know, people might forget some of the pop hits as the years go on, but they will, people who study music and want to understand it, we'll go back and be like, wow, this guy was incredible. And you know, that's the legacy that I think he's going to leave. You know, his, his biggest pop chart peers in the 80s were Michael Jackson and Madonna. And there was, there was a, actually one week in 1987 where the three of them did have the top three songs in a single week. It's the only time that ever happened. Um, you know, and, and Michael Jackson, obviously much more successful commercially than Prince. And Michael will be remembered forever also, so will Madonna. But I don't know that people will be dissecting their musical choices and how they arranged their songs and how they wrote their songs and, and the weird you know, instruments they would bring in. I don't know if they'll be looking at that 100 years from now, 200 years from now, but I think with Prince, they will. Prince.